the, uh, the reading this evening is uh, old school. I'm using a Bible. Uh, other, other platforms are available. <laughs> uh, the, the reading comes from the letter to Titus, and I'm going to start reading uh, in chapter 1 uh, at verse 15 and moving on towards the end of chapter 2. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences get, are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. You must teach what is in accord with the sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands, so that nothing will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about you. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Saviour attractive. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly pleasures and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearance of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. This is the word of the Lord. very much John. Well hello for those of you who don't know me I'm Claire and I live in Exeter with my husband Ben and our two-year-old son Jude. For those of you that do know me you'll probably find it equally equal parts amusing and predictable. I want to start my talk today with some terms and conditions to set the scene. <laughs> um, so I don't know if the quiz is up again but if you want one last chance to do the quiz now's your time whilst I run through my little bit of small print. So first off I'm not really going to talk about practicalities today. Apologies if you were hoping for top tips on recycling, cutting energy bills, or reducing your car usage. There just isn't time to cover that this afternoon. But there is the Q&A session on Tuesday, where we can chat about the nitty-gritty. Today is about the vision, and I hope sharing some of my experiences will spark lots of questions. 
So make a note of your reactions and your thoughts and bring them on Tuesday. Secondly, I'll be walking a very tight balance between speaking the truth, which in some respects is very brutal, and staying hopeful. Some things that I say will be tough, but I'm deliberately going to start with hope and end with it. So my ask of you is just to stick with me during the middle bit. Thirdly, my personal experiences that I share shouldn't be taken as a blueprint for Christian life, nor as a criticism of your life if you do things differently. We are all unique, and our response to God will be unique. What we should all be doing, though, is responding in some way. And finally, to manage expectations... can't believe Wilf's standing me up. Finally, <laughs> to manage expectations, I'm not actually going to talk about the environment that much. The climate crisis is just one of the many symptoms of how we have got our relationship with God, each other, and the world's resources wrong. Paul, right at the end of Titus, sums it up by saying this, our people must learn to do good by meeting the urgent needs of others, then they will not be unproductive. Really today, I'm just going to share a few of my own personal stories of how God has taught me to live this out. So that's the small print over, and this is the hope that I promised I'd start with. So up on the screen should be the answers. In a minute. We're there. Okay. So I'll give you sort of 30 seconds to quickly work out what is your score. Hopefully, it's better than you, the, the facts are better than you thought. I'll just give you a few seconds while I grab a drink. How are we doing? Are we almost there? Okay, I'm going to start quite low. Can you put your hand up if you've got two right or more? Okay, oh, we've got a few. Joe, you changed your mind? Just do? Okay, keep your hand up if you've got three or more right. Okay. Oh, we're getting there. Four or more right? Oh, what have we got? Anyone get five out of five? Just Toby? Well, I've got five bars of chocolate. So <laughs> I wasn't expecting everyone to do that well, but um, there we go, Toby. Help yourself to one at the end. And if anyone who got four out of four wants to grab one as well, then you go for it. Um, it's really good chocolate, so it's worth doing. <laughs> so apart from being an excuse to hand out chocolate, um, the reason I wanted to share those facts with you is because I find the climate crisis really scary. And sometimes it does make me feel hopeless. At these times, I find it helpful to remember those facts that I shared with you and the book they come from, which is called Factfulness. What I hope they show is that we have made so much progress as a species. We have done so much good already. And often, as the poor results show, we don't even realize we've done it. A much bigger version of that quiz has been taken all around the world and to world leaders, and people consistently underestimate our achievements so far. So how much more surmountable are today's emergencies, including the climate crisis, when we are, doing work, when we are working alongside God? That gives me hope, peace, and the motivation to try each day to make choices for God's plan, not against it. So, 
Please keep that hope in the back of your mind as we look at some of the harder stuff now. People are losing their livelihoods and their homes and their lives as a result of the climate crisis. These are real people being affected right now. This isn't a distant threat, it has arrived. Extreme floods, droughts, forest fires, superstorms and famine are happening now. In 2019, weather-related hazards triggered 25 million people to be displaced. To put that in context, that is roughly the same as Australia's entire population. But things are only getting worse. The number of people needing humanitarian assistance as a result of climate-related disasters is estimated to double by 2050 to 200 million people every year. I find these numbers staggering. And the great irony is that, generally speaking, those who are most vulnerable and contributed least to the climate crisis are those suffering the worst consequences. An Oxfam report estimated that the richest 10% of the global population contributed over half of the world's carbon emissions. Again, for context, Roughly speaking, if your monthly take-home pay is £1,100 or more, you are part of that richest 10%. Whereas children living in poor countries are among the most vulnerable to the health risks of the climate crisis. As Christians, we simply cannot ignore this. The passage from Titus I chose might seem a little odd, or very odd, for a climate Sunday. There are certainly some very interesting debates you can have on the impact it's had on gender equality and slavery. Um, I'm going to dodge all of those, asked John. <laughs> um, the reason I picked the passage, though, is because Paul doesn't pull any punches about two really important things. One, it's our job to make God look good, because that's the truth. And the way we're supposed to do that is by doing good things, by being good people. What is our response to the climate crisis saying to the world about God? I asked that question because last year I had a sort of mini crisis. It wasn't a crisis of faith, but it was a crisis of church. I read Titus and Paul's absolutely no-nonsense approach to what Christianity and church should look like, and I just felt like a massive hypocrite, both as an individual Christian but also as a member of the wider church. I felt like the purpose of church had been turned on its head. It had become a thing I expected to be served by, something that was there for me to take from. This is not what Paul describes in Titus. On the contrary, church is supposed to be where we learn together how to do the giving, how to do the serving, how to make God look irresistible to the rest of the world. But leaving that to one side, even if other people weren't being affected by the climate crisis, is the planet ours to wreck? What should our overarching relationship be to the things around us, our resources, and even our own lives? Well, the simple but very hard answer is to put them to God's purpose. Or as Paul explains to Titus, he gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us. 
and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. That is a very daunting ask. I think Paul must have had his Weetabix and several espressos before he wrote to Titus, because the whole book is pretty daunting, but thankfully it's also very short. So what has been my experience so far? Well, when I look back on the last decade or so of my life, I'm forced to admit that the worst elements of our culture had invaded my faith. Where God should have been, instead I'd created idols out of convenience, comfort, security, status, to name but a few. These things aren't wrong in and of themselves, but they were what motivated my decisions rather than God. There was no devotion in my heart. As you heard in the reading, Paul puts it pretty simply and bluntly, as is his way in Titus, and he says, such people claim they know God, but they deny him by the way they live. I have to admit this is true of my actions sometimes. I think it's true of all of us, but God wants to partner with us anyway. This partnership for me has involved God gradually pointing out the idols in my life and slowly shifting my reliance from them to him, moving me from selfishness to submission. It is a journey that is by no means complete, and it's one that I hope I spend the rest of my life learning more and more about how God wants to lead me. But to flesh this out a little, I wanted to speak about a few of the key areas that God has been working on with Ben and I. So God started with our money, A long time ago, we were challenged by friends to bank ethically. And since then, God has gradually lessened our reliance on money and helped us become more and more aware of our consumption, how we use money, and how the way we consume can actually actually do God's work. We're being challenged again in this respect, as we're investing everything we have in turning our house into an eco-home. This is not a safe thing to do, and I sometimes wonder what on earth am I doing Why don't we just take the easy option and have a house like everyone else? But God has always been faithful in providing for us. And it's that track record of trust that gives us the strength to do this now. Our relationship with our home is another area God has really changed over time. I've shared this aspect of my life before, so apologies to those of you who've heard it already. But my home was definitely an idol for me to begin with. It was a sanctuary of safety that I relied upon rather than God. And again, God has gradually shown Ben and me that actually it's a gift from him to be used for his work. God has been gentle with us, prompting us to start with to just share our home with friends who needed a place to stay. In time, we moved on to hosting for the charity Night Stop, which provides temporary accommodation for 16 to 24-year-olds who find themselves homeless. And four years ago, a refugee came to live with us and is still with us now. It was a very daunting thing to open our home to a stranger. But God had prepared us. And I can see now with hindsight the trajectory we had been on towards that decision. The most recent and raw area of challenge from God has been in relation to my family. 
Ben and I applied to adopt at the start of the year, but were sadly rejected because of the housework that we were planning. I have to say that part of me thought God had taught me everything I needed to know about submission. If I'm being really honest, I, th I thought I'd peaked at taking a refugee in. <laughs> I could not have been more wrong. Before, it never even crossed my mind that God would ask me to submit my own reproductive choices, not to mention the natural instinct to protect my son Jude. It's really difficult to describe. But unlike your home or your money, how you build a family is so internal, quite, quite literally for women, and so integrally a part of me, that it required a whole new level of trust. And in all honesty, it's been both painful and scary to relinquish control of those decisions. Adoption is often seen by many as what you choose when you've exhausted all other options. But for us Christians, it was God's first choice for us. Knowing this in theory is easy, but it's difficult to make decisions that reflect it. There is no doubt a personal cost to submission at times. We moved house so that we could adopt, and we really hope it'll be part of our life one day. What I've learned again and again, though, is that God cares deeply about all of creation and about the choices, every choice, we make to help hinder or help its salvation and restoration. This journey of ever greater submission to God's purpose in the small and the big parts of my life has taught me that God's wants so much more of us than we tend to give. Despite claiming to be a Christian, I had allowed so many things to usurp God's place in my life, so much so that I was willing to prioritize having luxuries in my own life at the expense of others having necessities. This selfishness and idolatry is the root cause of the unhealthy relationship we all have with the world's resources and with God. That same fault is what drives the refugee crisis or the horrendous social justice issues in the supply chains of the things we buy or why there are still around 3,000 children waiting to be adopted, despite the fact that there are millions of Christians in the UK. My rough maths suggests it would take just 1% of Christians adopting to find all those children a home. I don't say this to shame or blame any of us. I have no right to do that. I say it to empower us, to show just how achievable change really is. I wanted today to focus on this root cause because what I want to see is long-term change. If I spent this afternoon guilt-tripping or peer-pressuring you into washing out your yogurt pots um, or to commit to some arbitrary lifestyle change, the, the impact on the climate crisis would be minimal. World-altering, persistent change will only come if we allow our hearts to be changed and we say sorry for the things we've got wrong. So that's my story, and I've got three things I want to ask of you. One, let God into the minutiae of your lives. The choices you make matter. 
They are how we worship, so get God involved. We are able to submit in this way because we know God is trustworthy. This doesn't mean we need to change everything overnight. Just let God in. Let him lead you. If you want some ideas of where to start, particularly in relation to the climate crisis, then what I'd say is start off by praying. Um, Google has lots of answers too. Come along on Tuesday to the Q&A. Email me at the sustainability address. Sometimes you might just need to admit to yourself what you already know you need to do. I have, I have to do that a lot. Often I know the answer, I just, I just don't really like it. Um, and if you're still sitting there thinking, I know I should care about this stuff, but I just don't, then don't feel bad about it. Just take it to God and ask him what, you want to do, what he wants you to do with it. Two, take down your walls. I don't know what yours are, but here are a few of mine. Insisting on a perfect solution as a smokescreen to hide the fact that I just don't want to change. It goes something along the lines of, oh yeah, that sounds interesting, but blah, 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 there's some problem. There isn't a perfect answer, or I best not do anything then. Questioning is a good thing. We need questions in order to make smart decisions. But let's make sure they're coming from the right place. Fear is another one of my walls. I've heard it said by Christians that you can't worship and be afraid. I wholeheartedly disagree. The kind of radical worship that I want my life to be filled with, I have found to be extremely fear-inducing. If it's right that courage is not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it, then we have to learn to act despite our fear. This has been one of my biggest challenges. And I mentioned before, it is painful and costly at times. One of my other walls is I sometimes tell myself that I'm doing more than most, and therefore that's okay. I sometimes want to excuse my inaction because I'm doing more than some people, and therefore I've done my bit. But the standards for my life aren't set by other people. They are set by God. As Christians, we don't have a good quota a good things quota. My life and everything in it is the Lord's. You might be able to relate to some of these walls, or you might have completely different ones. You might even be putting them up as I speak. But ask yourself, what are they, and can you take them down? And number three, let's support each other rather than tear each other down. We live in an, in an imperfect world, and we are imperfect people. Yes, there are lots of challenges. Sometimes there are no good solutions. Sometimes it's hard to know what the right thing to do is, or it changes over time. Sometimes when you want to do good, it's simply not within your power. And sometimes we'll just disagree about what good looks like. As I said at the start, all our responses will be unique. Rather than seeing this as a threat, let's embrace it and encourage one another. So I'm almost finished, and here's the hope that I promised I would end with. Statistics like the one about adoption and the progress the quiz showed us we've made prove that we have the power to change things, but it all starts with our own everyday decisions. What's more, we know God multiplies our efforts, doesn't ask for perfection, and covers our mistakes. We just have to try. 
God will help us with the rest, and in my experience, is always very gentle. And best of all, I can honestly say that trying to live in this way is just so much better. I'm not trying to make my life more simple, sustainable and generous out of a sense of duty or to jump on board of some secular bandwagon. God has asked this of me, of all of us, so we should live like this regardless. But in my experience, trying to live a life of submission and service, despite my constant failures, is actually the best sort. It's what Jesus modelled when he washed his disciples' feet. I wouldn't go back to my old self, even if I could. This approach to life has deepened my faith, changed my perspective, and brings me joy, peace, and fulfillment on a daily basis. My everyday decisions become acts of worship, and they connect me to God moment to moment. Every time I use my fair trade phone, I'm reminded of God's love for me. Every time I use my loofah dishwasher upper, scrubber thing, my husband will say I don't do the washing up, that's not true. I'm reminded of God's provision. Every time I get on my bike, I see how beautiful nature is. It's a truly wonderful way to live, is available to everyone, and has the added bonus of being great for the planet. Shall we just pray? Father, we are sorry for our selfishness and for getting things wrong. Please change our hearts. Align them to your will. As we sang earlier, make them break for the things that your heart breaks for.